brethren. One of the, I, I, I take a particular great deal of delight in reading about um, stories, both past as well as present, of our brothers and sisters who are suffering for the faith, whether they're martyrs in the sense of shedding their blood and dying, or all of them martyrs, because a martyr literally is just, it's a witness, it's a testimony, it's what the word means. I, re, I engage these type of stories, and they, they, they strike a deep chord with me, and I've always found myself, you know, when I get those emails periodically from Voice of the Martyrs or Open Doors or whatever, uh, you know, I, I like to read or watch the little video clips. Just yesterday I was reading about uh, a young Nigerian uh, woman who still is in captivity uh, to Boko Haram, and yet who has not denied her faith even after two years in captivity and who is being a light in the midst of deep darkness, and God has preserved her life. Uh, it was really intriguing uh, testimony. But you ask yourself whether it's those sorts of things, or, you know, um, we recently watched a video here on, on the Wormbrands, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. You know the story of them. Or we can think of Corey Tin Boom, others uh, in the 20th century, uh, even in our day, who have suffered, who have endured and have overcome, even in the midst of persecution, who have not denied the faith, who have held fast to the Lord and been light in the midst of dark places, who, who could say with Paul, though our outer man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Well, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. These are people, the thing that we, we have in, in common with them that I find intriguing about all of these stories is not only that they are suffering uh, and enduring, uh, whether it be loss of possessions, loss of freedoms, whatever, for the sake of Christ, but that you find in story after story after story of these, and we'll hear some more from Brother S. today, that the one thing they all have in these contexts is these, these people, they have all been rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And that Word of God, that truth, that light, is something that is inside them, in their heart, in their mind, and it doesn't matter how dark it gets around them, how difficult, when the light of truth is in them, it can't be put out. I'm, I'm intrigued, just to use an example, again, of, of, of think of the worm brands. The, the reason why when Romania fell, initially it was to the Nazis, but when the communists came in at the, towards the end of World War II and took over, the first thing you did, remember, is they got all the church leaders together and they had a council of churches to get them to essentially swear allegiance to the Communist Party. And you, you, you remember that. They, you could all, you can keep your Jesus, you can have your church services, we'll let you do that, they said, as long as you acknowledge that when it comes right down to it, you know, the dictator is Lord and not your Jesus. Well, it was in that context that Richard Wormbrand, you remember, did this audacious thing when he was invited as a pastor of a, of a confessing Lutheran church there to come along with all the other pastors. And he stood up there and he, he, and he basically stood up and was invited down. And there on that podium in with the whole uh, not only the crowd listening, but through the, uh, the speakers, people out in the public in the city hearing, he said, Jesus is Lord. And he called all the other ministers to not believe the lies, to hold fast to truth and say, I, I've heard all of you, even my fellow ministers, genuflecting, uh, subserviating Jesus. But the truth is, is there is one Lord, and we must obey him. But you remember, it wasn't long after that that Richard then was captured taken into captivity by the communists and sent to prison for 14 years and then another like six afterwards. But what I find intriguing about this, as you may recall, is that Richard said the thing that sustained him in the midst of that, and the same is true about Corrie ten Boom, you remember how she, they smuggled that little Bible into the concentration camp and that little like Gideon New Testament they had, was their light. But the thing about Wormbrand is when he went in there in that dark of dark places, 
beforehand, you recall that he and that little church that he had been pastoring, they had been learning and memorizing faithfully week after week together scripture. And he had this massive trove of scriptures stored in his head and in his heart, the truth, so that even when they threw him in there into that dungeon without a Bible, he had a Bible here. And the light couldn't be put out because the truth had set him free. It didn't matter what they did to his body. They could lock him up. The truth had set him free. Brethren, the reason I bring this to you today is because the burden of this text that John is placing before these saints again is just what Jesus said. If you are my disciples, you will abide in my word. You will know that truth, and that truth will set you free, and it will keep you free no matter what happens to men, by men. The assurance, brethren, that we truly know the truth comes by knowing the God who is truth, knowing Him. Not knowing about Him, but knowing Him, and knowing His Word, abiding in His Word, which is truth. And that's where the faith that is anchored in and sustained by God's truth, it's mediated by the Spirit of God, it's rooted in the objective reality of the blood of the Lamb and the Word of God, It's in knowing and being known and following close in the faith and the steps of Jesus who overcame the world and the devil by the word of his testimony, not loving his life even unto death because of the hope and the joy that was set before him. You see, brothers and sisters, just as that day, so too in ours, there are imposters and lies, false prophets, false spirits abounding. Today, It is just another form of the communist lie in many ways, whether we call it critical race theory or wokeism, whether it's the LGBTQ plus agenda, whatever it is, there's all kinds of people, even in the churches, who are more than willing to stand up and use a proof text and to tell us that, no, these things are pleasing to God. They call evil good and good evil. They call light darkness and darkness light. And the question we ask is, what do the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? And we remind in Psalm 11, he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord sees, his eyes see, his eyes behold the children of men. Brethren, the Lord will give us light. But the call today, brethren, is for you and I to be discerning. And in being discerning, to be overcoming. And as you and I are discerning and overcoming, you will find that your assurance and your joy in the Lord is unquenchable. Let's look at this text together. Chapter 3, verse 24, John gives his first point, this thing. Again, I've called this discerning, overcoming, and assurance of abiding in Christ. And the first thing that John would have you and I to see is that by way of assurance that he's giving them that they are of the truth, that they know the truth, and they are in the way of life, in the truth and the life. He says, first of all, there's assurance by believing and obeying the true word and the true spirit of God, by listening to the spirit of God. Verse 24, chapter 3. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. He remains in him like the branch and the vine, and he in him. So Christ in you, you in Christ, living vital union. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So on the one hand, there's an objective external assurance that look to abiding in, abiding in Christ. And he says, look to the obedience of faith, not perfect obedience, as I've said, I want to remember that. There's a reason why back in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 2, John said, I've written these things to you that you may not sin, but when, if you do sin, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's the propitiation not for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. Jesus is an effective high priest. He's an effective advocate and propitiation. Our sins, when we confess them and bring them to his blood, forsaking them, Jesus is our advocate, and he covers those things. So we can look and say, yes, it's rooted there, but John has told us there's a correlation between that and your practice. Everyone, chapter 3, that says that he knows God practices righteousness, right? He strives to be righteous, not self-righteous. 
He doesn't look at his righteousness as a merit by which to make himself right with God. Rather, he's seeing Jesus' righteousness imputed and imparted and saying, Oh God, just I need Jesus in me and his obedience of faith coming out of me in the fruits of the Spirit and the works of true faith. It's always about Jesus first to last, and it's always by grace through faith alone, first to last. But John is telling them here, there's an objective thing to look at. And he's encouraging them. He who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. Brethren, the first thing he would have you to see is, is do, do you love God's law? And, and remember, what are those commandments? Well, if you look at the verse immediately preceding that, John had just told us, you recall, what specifically he had in mind. Because in the verse right before that, in, cha in chapter 3, verse 23, he said, This is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and that we would love one another as he gave us commandment. So unlike the false prophets, remember the three tests that John has been giving between truth and error. There's the doctrinal test, there's the righteousness test, and then there's the love test, right? John hits those over and over again from different angles. But unlike the false prophets who fail consistently or one or all of those, who do not teach right doctrine, who distort the righteousness of God into perversion, and who do not sincerely, truly love the brethren, they just simply use the brethren as means to their end rather than laying down their lives as Jesus did for the brethren. Whereas false prophets, false teachers, false brethren do that, he's saying, here's the way of truth, is that we believe in the truth about the name of the Lord Jesus, the name, the authority, the person of Jesus, who he is, and we love truly, affectionately, and not in word only, but in deed and in truth. We love those whom Jesus loves. Not perfectly, but sincerely. We view them as beloved for the sake of Jesus. That spirit that we have together unites our hearts. You can't help but have affection for people who Jesus loves. That's just that way. And that's a gift of God, the love poured out in our hearts. So he says, look to it. That's an objective thing, is the obedience of faith. Faith working through love, Galatians 5, 6 says. So I ask you, what is your attitude, brethren, towards God's commands, especially towards the brethren? What is your attitude towards when you read in the Word of God, God says that this is the way of righteousness, do this, not that. Do you look and say, Jesus is Lord, He is my shepherd, He's my Savior, I will follow Him. God, give me the grace to be a hearer, but not to be a hearer, only be a doer. Give me the grace, Father, to trust and obey. The obedience of faith. Brethren, that is an assurance to you and I that when you have that heart about you, whether you're older, whether you're, uh, you know, pushing, pushing 100, or whether you're small, even for you young ones, even a child is known by his deeds, Proverbs says, by whether they are right and true. So even you children, I ask you, brothers, sisters, little ones, when you hear the word of God, I want to exhort you to say, this is God's word. I want to be pleasing to the Lord because He loves me. He has chosen me. He has called me. And I will follow Him because I have faith. If you find yourself struggling with it, say, Lord, increase my faith. He's willing to do that. Don't, don't give any place to, to ambivalence, to apathy towards God's Word. And certainly don't give any place to the demonic, rebellious heart that rebels against the Word of God. But look, John says, secondly, there's also an internal subjective witness. The assurance of abiding in God, he says, look to the indwelling Spirit. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He's given to us. And I remind you that the Spirit, the Scripture tells me uh, in, second, in 1 Corinthians 2 that the Spirit is the one that searches the internal things, the deep things of man, Paul says. You know, that the Spirit is the one who knows the mind and the affections of man. And he searches us out. And the Lord, the Spirit of God, if he is in us, if he is in you and you in him, he will be shining light constantly into your heart through his word. That light is shining. He's not going to let you abide in darkness. He searches out your heart 
to see your ways, if there's, whether you are walking in the way of truth and righteousness or not. And he loves you enough that when you're not, he's going to discipline you and make your life difficult as a father does a child whom he seeks to bring the precious, the good fruits of righteousness to bear in his life. That's Hebrews 12, right? That we may yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness being trained by God's discipline. And you remind you in the previous text that he said God is greater than our heart. Just back in chapter 3, just a couple verses before, he said, If our heart condemn us not, we have confidence before God. He says, But if our, heart does not, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Verse 20, he knows all things. So the Spirit of the Lord in us, he knows you, he sees all, and you might as well submit and say, Lord, search me. I'm an open book to you. Help me to walk in your way and shape and mold me. That spirit is called the spirit of anointing. Back in chapter 2, you children, little children, you have an anointing from the Lord. You don't have need that anybody should teach you the truth in the sense that uh, there's an internal impression of the spirit, right? An internal truth barometer, as it were, that Christians have that can smell something afoul. My sheep hear my voice, they know my voice. The voice of a false shepherd they will not follow, for they know his voice. I can, I can discern the pitch, the timbre of my Savior's good shepherd's voice, of his truth. And I say, no, something about that lie is not right, even if I can't fully explain it. You ever, you ever experience that? Where it's like, you hear something, it's like, I may not fully be able to articulate exactly what's wrong with that, but I, there's my spirit says, something is amiss here. Now you pursue it and you go on to understand better, but brethren, there is the spirit of the Lord, that anointing in you, if you're in Christ, that says, no, that stinks. <laughs> Stay away from that. Follow the sweet spirit of the Lord, this direction in truth and righteousness. And again, those tests... You know when somebody may say one thing, but their life, their doctrine smells wrong, or their life, their, what they teach about righteousness is off. It's not according to godliness and holiness. It's without a cross, right? It's, it's, it's the way of the flesh instead of the way of the spirit. Or when they, you know, they don't really love the brethren, they're just using them. I've known people like this. It's the spirit of adoption that works in us, that calls out Abba, Father, right? That he has given to us, that just calls out to him and says, Lord, I want to know you more, but it is the spirit of God and my reborn spirit made new by the, by the power of God so that we are sons of God. Brethren, that's what John is talking about. So I ask you again, do you have the inward testimony of grace in your own spirit from God's Spirit. The assurance that John says, it's, it's a Spirit of the Lord that confirms that yes, we are seeking to walk in the Lord's commands, striving to practice what is pleasing in His sight, not perfectly but surely. The Spirit within us confirms that, and He says to you, and you know it, He says, yes, yes, Brother Ben, yes, Ashton, yes, sisters, you are mine and I am yours. And he gives you that peace that passes understanding that is anchored on the foundation of Christ. So there is a subjective element, and the Lord says, search your own heart. Let the Spirit search your heart, but the Spirit of the Lord testifies that we are in Him and He in us. Secondly, there's an assurance that comes by believing and obeying the true Word of the Spirit of God. But then secondly, look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1 and 3. There's also an assurance that comes not only by hearing believing the true spirit, the Holy Spirit, truth, of righteousness and of love. But there's also, oddly enough, there's an actual confirmation, an assurance, a true belief that's rooted in unbelief. Say, Steve, what are you talking about? Brethren, the, one of the key marks of true faith, as I said, is an unbelieving skepticism towards the words of people, prophets, false spirits as he talks about here we'll talk in a minute but an unbelieving skepticism towards things and people's testimonies or their words that they proclaim to be light which you can tell by that spirit you have are not light 
To put it another way, it's what John says here, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. So brethren, what John is saying here is one of the key tests for you as one who believes the truth is that you don't believe the lie, right? I'm actually not doing any favors if I give, if I pander to and make light of false teachers and false doctrine. There's no place for being nice with that sort of thing, brethren. There's no place for it. He says there should be an unbelieving skepticism of lies and deception. True belief and faith can be measured, as it were, by its unbelief of deceivers. True Christian and saving faith will see and reject false prophets. False prophets are controlled by lying, deceiving, demonic spirits, as John calls it here. And these, these false prophets in their midst, they claimed to be of God. Just like the apostles, just like John and Peter and Paul and so on. And they claim to have additional corrective knowledge for salvation. Beyond that sweet, that, that simple, pure gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, looking to Christ alone. They had additional things to do. Right? Additional insights that would help you see and have a more naked Bible. As, as we say, additional insights that would help you enter into the higher, deeper life, deeper knowledge. Does that sound familiar? Some things don't change, do they? A different grid, a paradigm by which will help you to interpret the scriptures more clearly. Well, we've heard all that recently, haven't we? We've talked to these, even so many of these evangelical Big Eva pastors you see on YouTube or on TV who in Jesus' name stand there in their pulpits and they say, in the name of Jesus, we must embrace social justice. In the name of Jesus, we must embrace as Jesus would because Jesus cares and Jesus is open and affirming to everybody. Embrace the perversions of LGBTQ. Where's your love, man? Brethren, they may sound and they may use Jesus' name. They may spout all kinds of happy syllogisms. But brethren, they are liars. And John is saying here something more profound that simply not only are they lying, but he is saying that they are actually controlled. False prophets, especially teachers in the church, who lie to the people of God, who put truth for light and light for darkness, uh, truth, for, truth for, uh, for lies, who put light for darkness. Brethren, they are actually, John saying, false spirits. There is demonic things going on here. When I hear, I'll use one as a, as a prime example because this is right in our Reformed Presbyterian context. When I hear somebody like Tim Keller who gets up and waxes eloquently, writes you know, books on mercy ministry, which have some truth in them. It's some good stuff there. But then you hear him spouting you know, the need for, uh, for a different gospel. He wouldn't call it that, but one that essentially says that, that racial reconciliation, retribution, is now somehow the way of making atonement that bypasses the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ, that gathers people on the basis of somehow privilege or white privilege instead of at the foot of the cross where there is neither male nor female, black nor white, slave nor free, but one in Christ Jesus. It's a different gospel. And Paul says that whether I or an angel from heaven preach to you some other gospel, let him be accursed. That is a demonic spirit. When I hear people like Tim who get up and when you ask him a simple question like, what is the biblical truth about you know, the perversions of, of, of same-sex attraction and action and so on, I have literally heard him wax on and him and haw and give every kind of distorted nuance. Well, it's a hard issue. We don't want to be too dogmatic on these sorts of things. Just yesterday, I was reading, no joke, Phil Vischer, creator of Veggie Tales. 
who in, in his personal blog was saying about abortion. It's like, well, this is a kind of nuanced issue. And many Christians, there are many Christians who just don't really fully agree. This isn't a black and white issue, whether abortion is right or wrong. It's circumstantial. Brethren, let me just tell you, that is a demonic, false spirit. Let not many of you, James says in chapter 3, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will be held to a higher standard. We all stumble in many things. This humbles me. That's what these people were doing. They were saying, you need more, you need more knowledge. We need to give you things beyond what the apostles. We need some other addition to the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles to build the church. Such, there is to be a holy, righteous intolerance, brethren, of divisive heretics, false teachers. Brethren, it is not a virtue to tolerate that. It is a vice. I know we live in a terribly tolerant age where the only thing that seems to be not tolerated is intolerance. Brethren, you and I who know the truth, if you are of the truth, you must love people enough to not lie to them. You must love people enough to not tell them lies or even insinuate lies to them. Because the God that we, we love, the God who is love, we'll look at that coming up, is also the God who is light. And you cannot separate God's light from his love, can you? God is holy, and he is righteous. There is no other God. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They rather serve their own belly. And by smooth words, flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Brethren, there's a whole lot of that going on today in the church of Jesus Christ. I just got done watching this past week a documentary called Enemies Within the Church. Some of you may have heard of this. Actually, this one, I went ahead and got it, and I think we're going to watch it here as a group here soon. But it exposes even how so many, even high leaders, whether it's in the SBC, in the PCA, you know, uh, leaders of seminaries, leaders of denominational ethics organizations and so on, are openly now spouting and espousing the virtues of critical race theory as the proper way to understand and apply the gospel. Brethren, I exhort you, do not live by lies. Don't do it. Ask the Lord God to give us grace. Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Paul says, There are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Reject chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Reject a divisive heretic, a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. I don't care how big his pulpit is. I don't care how big and how widely known they are in their denomination or how many followers they have on their podcast. Brethren, brethren, we need to understand that the lies of the enemy are pervasive. They are, they are all over the place. It's ubiquitous and it's as, as, as constant as the air you breathe. If you don't have your eyes and the word of scripture, if you don't have yourself anchored to the solid foundation of the word of God and the truth of the orthodox, historic Christian faith, brethren, you will be drifting. You will be blown about, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And ships that are done that, eventually they will make shipwreck. The ships that make shipwreck, brethren, end up at the bottom of the ocean. 
We must test the spirits, not just prophets, but understand that there's spirits inside those prophets. Is it the spirit of Christ? Is this the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that is in accord to the word of God? Or are these false spirits spouting off things in Jesus' name? Maybe even doing miracles. We read in Deuteronomy 13 today. Ben read that. You know, these, these, these demonically empowered, demonically controlled, demonically inspired lying prophets, they could even often do signs and wonders, couldn't they? Remember Pharaoh and his, in his court, even his Egyptians were able to mimic some of the signs that Moses did. Now, that doesn't mean that signs are automatically proof of being a false prophet, but they're certainly not, a, not automatically a proof of being a prophet or a false prophet. But brethren, the question that Deuteronomy 13 draws us to, and is still true, of those that would speak and say to be teachers or prophets, uh, to prophesy the way the Puritans said, to speak and to teach, to exhort in Jesus' name, is the question, do they speak according to the law and the testimony? If not, there is because there's no light in them. That's what Isaiah 8 says. There's no light in them. We must discern the true confession of God's spirit from false and counterfeit spirits. In apostolic times, as today before, you know, the, the foundation of the church of Jesus was being laid, anchored on the testimony of Christ and the apostles, Paul says in Ephesians 2. And, and that was the foundation. Jesus and the testimony concerning him was the chief cornerstone as revealed by Jesus through his chosen ones. But the believers had to discern whether prophecies were true, were they built on the rock and the truth of Jesus and going to stand up in the storms, or were they built on sand, lies, deception that would crumble when the storms and the difficulties come? Was it the Spirit of Christ or was it the spirit of Antichrist? And as I said before, that word anti, that prefix, doesn't simply mean opposed to, it means substitute for. False prophets, brethren, don't generally come in and just outright deny and say, nope, we outright deny this. Sometimes they do. There's a lot of liberal, quote-unquote, Christian churches that just flat out couldn't say the, apostle, the, the Nicene Creed with some straight consciences now. But brethren, more often than not, they come in by stealth. They come in through deceiving, deception. And they sound very, in, they sound very intriguing in some ways. They appeal to greater knowledge or to your flesh, to your appetites, but they do not speak according to the Word of God. The mere fact or inspiration of a prophecy doesn't make the message true, does it? It doesn't make it right. Even the spirits, John is saying, let me be more clear, even the spirits must subscribe to and speak according to the scriptures. I've heard liberal, liberal quote-unquote, believers who have told me to my face when I've pointed out, when I've brought to them, um, I brought to them says, but the scripture plainly says you can't ordain this, you know, this, a homosexually attracted man or whatever to be a pastor. You can't ordain this person, you know, you can't call this person to serve in your church or whatever who is living this way. I have had people tell me to my face, Steve, we got together in a council and our, and our leaders and we just felt the Spirit was leading us this way. And my response to them was, that is not the spirit of the living God. You may be listening to a spirit, but it ain't the right spirit. It's a lying spirit. Do you remember? Do you remember back, I think it's 1 Kings chapter 21, maybe 22, that episode where with Micaiah, the false prophet, and the Micaiah, the prophet of the Lord, and here they are, here's Jehoshaphat, um, the king of Judah, and then, and then they are with, with the Ahaz. Up in, up in Israel, and, the, and he's called before, Ahaz got all of the prophets there in the northern kingdom around saying, should we go to war with Syria? Will, will God bless it? And remember, he had like a hundred that all stood up and said, go, go, the Lord is with you. One even got out some horns and said, this is what the Lord's going to do to the people around you. And you remember, King Ahaz says, says, is there any prophet from the south, from Judah, still that will confirm this? And Jehoshaphat says, well, we've got this one, Micaiah, but, but Ahaz says, but I hate him. 
because he always prophesies contrary to me. Go get him. So they bring him out, and you remember, initially, Micaiah says, he uses a little bit of sanctified sarcasm, and he says, oh yeah, sure, sure, yeah, the Lord's with you, go on up, and then remember, <laughs> Jehoshaphat, I mean, uh, Ahaz looks at me and says, now tell me the truth. He says, I saw Israel scattered on the sides of the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And if you go up and come back today from this battle alive, the Lord has not sent me. But I speak to you the truth. And of course, they said, see, didn't I tell you? He always tells me what I wanted to hear. And But then you remember the explanation. Micaiah goes on and he says, I saw in heaven. And he says that around the throne, the Lord himself had said, I'm looking for a, and this is a terrifying thing, brethren, I'm looking for a lying spirit to go and deceive Ahaz because he has given himself over to idolatry. He has given himself up. And so I'm actually looking for a lying spirit to go deceive him according to his appetites. And, 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 and Micaiah says, many spirits came around, but then one said, I will go forth and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets to cause them to believe the lie. Brethren, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Apostle Paul, speaking here of this great end times apostasy there at the end of the old covenant age that was imminent. But I want you to notice what he says here. I'm going to start in verse 5. He has been speaking about this man of sin who would come and there would be a falling away even within the professing church. This man of sin would be revealed, son of perdition and so on. He opposes, exalts himself above all that is called God and is worshipped. So on. But then in verse 5, Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness, brethren, remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Sin is lawlessness, right? 1 John 3, 4. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. But now get this verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, lying wonders. He looks really good, doesn't he? All kinds of power, signs, lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why did they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. Brethren, those words should strike terror into your soul. Brethren, if you have any doubts about why you must be anchored to the light and the truth of the Word of God, because if you, des if you despise the Word of God, if you reject it and say, I don't want Jesus to rule over my life. I don't want His law to be my standard. I don't want to walk in the light as He is in the light. I'd rather go my own way. Remember Romans chapter 1. Therefore, because they worship the creature rather than the Creator, right? Because they chose to exalt human knowledge over God's knowledge. They didn't say, let God be true, but man a liar. Therefore, God gave them over to their lust. He gave them over to a debased mind, to darkness of spirit and soul. They couldn't even think straight anymore. God sends them a lying, delusional spirit, a strong delusion, so that they should believe the lie that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you see what he's saying? They had pleasure in unrighteousness and because of their affections were drawn toward unrighteousness, they believed and were ready to follow whatever delusions, even in Jesus' name, come about. And it says here that that actually was sourced in God who was giving them over because they did not love the truth. Oh, brethren, test the spirits. Hold fast to the word of God, to the confessions of faith that you be not moved and batted around by every wind and wave of doctrine, 
Do not be tossed about by liars and deceivers, calling themselves light when there is no light in them. The spirit or prophet that does not confess truth of God's word according to truth. John specifically applies it here in the context of first century to the issue, uh, you know, Serentheus and to the Gnostics were denying, they were specifically denying that Jesus came in the flesh. That's the application, right? John doesn't mean by that that the only doctrine that you test on is whether they affirm that Jesus came in the flesh. He's making a very specific application to what was at hand in their midst. But let me be more specific by breaking this out into modern context. And this is actually point three, and we'll end here. He says, there's assurance that you have that will overcome the world and its lies. Verse four to six. You are of God, little children. You have overcome the liars. You have overcome the false prophets and their lies because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is truth, who dwells in you, who is light, is in you, is greater than the lies and the darkness of the world. The liars are of the world. They speak as of the world. The world listens to them. But you, we are of God. And if we are of God and built on the foundation of Christ and the apostles, Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the word of God, then he who knows God listens. He hears us. But he who is not of God doesn't hear. And that's how you tell truth from error. So the way of, on the one hand, the way of worldly prophets, worldly, ungodly spirits, is that they are not of God, they are untrue, and they are not in the way of life. John says that they are under the world, they're under the sway of him who is in the world, the devil and his demonic hosts. Therefore, they speak as the things of this world. To use, to use Paul's words, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Right? Romans 8. Those that set their minds on the things of the flesh are flesh. But they that set their minds on the things of the Spirit are God's, right? They are, belong to the Lord. You can discern that. They speak as of the world. Their affections and their appetites are set on the world and its things, its lust of the eyes, the flesh, the pride of life. Everything they say is about that. It's rooted and it's sourced from that and to that end. They don't truly know God, John says. And, and that's why those who are of the world, they listen to them. It tickles their ears. Remember Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 4, in the last days they would come and they would heap up to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, <laughs> who will scratch, their, scratch that itch that they've got, which is not from the Lord, according to their lust and their appetites. False teachers, as I said, they don't often deny, they usually distort biblical truth. They subtract to or add to it beyond what is revealed in God's world, word. Let me just give you a, 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 a quote I read from a guy named Jerry Ragg. He says this, The scriptures always portray false teachers as deceptive and cunning. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. Jesus warned that they come to us in sheep's clothing, Matthew seven fifteen, rather than being easy to spot. But they are wolves. They're wolves. Their lies are secretly introduced, 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 says. They're secretly introduced by stealth as teachings that are compatible with orthodoxy with just a slight bit of nuance to make it interesting. Always got to be interesting and novel, doesn't it? When it came to the church at Ephesus, Paul didn't hesitate to label these false leaders savage wolves, Acts 20, 29. They were pack hunters, who stalk their prey by sending out a single wolf to increase the element of stealth and surprise. While unsuspecting sheep were drawn to the one, the entire pack then lies in wait, ferociously exploiting the opportunity to destroy a life and consume and scatter the others. Brethren, there's a lot of deceivers pretending to be of Christ today and you must know the difference. They will inevitably compromise, add to, distort the doctrines of God, His being personal, infinite, eternal, singular, immutable, supernatural, sovereign, spirit, transcendent, imminent. They will distort the truth of God. They will distort inevitably the truth of Jesus Christ about His deity, His pre-existent humanity, His, uh, His being of the Spirit, being the Savior of all mankind about his real bodily resurrection and present reign. Brethren, that's a common thing you see among false teachers is attacking that. Here's another one. They attack the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Either that they attack his deity or 
that he's, they reject that he has present, personally operative or necessary for the walk of faith. Or you see others who go the other way and they, they get so caught up in the doctrine of the Spirit that they get into the word spiritism and word faithism as if we could demand of the Spirit of God to be our personal genie in a bottle. Just rub him the right way and he'll give you the right outcome. They distort the truth about man, about his being a creature, dependent and mortal, about sinfulness, about the nature of man. They distort the doctrine of sin as being a transgression of God's character and His law, as being lawlessness leading to death and judgment. They make light of it. Or they even go so far often as to say that the law doesn't even apply. God's righteous standard no longer applies. Antinomianism, brethren, that is wicked, it is evil. I don't care what Andy Stanley says. They distort the truth about salvation again. They say that you must add to it. You must do more than trust and believe in the obedience of faith. Trust and obey. Follow Jesus. Just look to Jesus in true faith. Hold fast to him. They always add to the doctrine, the simple gospel that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, by which he said he was concerned that the Corinthians, though he had betrothed them as a pure bride, that they might have been led astray by those claiming to come in Jesus' name into a gospel which was not a gospel. And ultimately, brethren, they always attack the authority of the Word of God. It all roots there, doesn't it? They always come out directly or indirectly to subtly by undermining the reality that the Word of God in its entirety, the 66 books we have, are verbally inspired, inerrant, infallible, and the only source but completely sufficient source for all life and godliness and truth and knowledge that we need about God. They've always got more knowledge or a different grid. You know, Michael Heiser you know, you've got to have understanding of the ancient Near Eastern background cultures and all these things to really understand the nuances of Scripture. I'm not going to deny that sometimes those things are helpful, but when you begin to say the only way you really understand the Bible is if you've got PhDs and you sit at my feet and I'll teach you, brethren, you should run from that as far as you can. Believers, John says, are overcomers. They overcome you have overcome them because they are of God. They're God's little children. They've overcome this, these lies in the world by the greater power of the spirit of truth in them. They overcome and they hold fast to it because they do the truth. They are true. They do truth in love, Ephesians 4. That's the mark of maturity. They are heard by all those who know God because, as I said, the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd whether it's spoken by, you know, by the pastor or by an elder or by somebody else in the church, you can discern by that anointing whether this is right and it's according to truth or not. So here's the applications, and we close with this. Number one, brethren, take heed, take heed how and what you hear and listen to. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, ears, what you hear. I'm told in 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, to avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. They've fallen into the ditch. The fact is, brethren, that you, the person who gives his ear, is just as responsible to hear the truth as the messenger is to speak it. True hearers, brethren, they are doers by faith. And they are greater, John says, than the false speakers and the spirits because the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is greater and He is in them. Brethren, the question I want to ask you in closing is simply this. Do you believe and will you stand by God's grace through faith alone, looking to Jesus alone, but will you be those that will say, I will stand on the Word of God and I will not be ashamed of the words of Jesus? It doesn't matter what others say. J.C. Ryle, this is on the front of your uh, order of worship. You can read it there. He says, what is the best safeguard against false teaching? Beyond all doubt, the regular study of the Word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible was given to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Psalm 119, 105. The man who reads it aright will never be allowed greatly to err. It is neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the first false teacher whom they hear. They would, have, they would have us to believe that they are not learned. They don't pretend to have decided opinions. Sounds very pious, doesn't it? The plain truth, and J.C. Ryle is right, is that they are lazy and they're idle about reading the Bible. They do not like the trouble of thinking for themselves. Nothing supplies false prophets with followers so much as spiritual sloth under a cloak of humility. So, brethren, my exhortation to you is hold fast to the word of life in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you stand as lights in the world. My exhortation to you is what Paul said in Romans 8. We are therefore more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. Brethren, if you want to stand firm on the rock, then you need to be anchored and abiding in the one who loves you and gave himself for you. Revelation 12, 11, how did they overcome? How did the saints overcome the devil and his de demonic lies? They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by faith in the objective reality of the cleansing, transforming blood of Christ, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Brethren, that's how Wormbrand, that's how uh, all the martyrs, that's how they, they stayed faithful in the darkness, is they loved the truth. And I remind you in closing, remember the words to the overcomers. Just go read Revelation 2 and 3. I won't do it to you now. Just go read the words to the churches at the end, at, at the, each of the seven churches. There can be your homework for today. Revelation 2 and 3. Go read the admonitions to the seven churches at the each one. To him who overcomes, I will give you know, the stone with his own name and I will give him uh, a seat amongst, amongst the, the, the glorified exalted. To him who overcomes, he will taste of the good things of the eternal life. To him who overcomes, he says to Laodicea, I will grant him that he will sit with me on my throne. Brethren, are there not strong incentives for you and I to hold fast to truth? Are there not strong incentives for you and I to be in the word of God daily? Turn off your TVs if you need to. Turn off the things that are distracting you from being in the Word of God each day. Be anchored to it, and you will persevere, you will overcome, and you will inherit all good things in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, I pray for each of my brethren and for me. Oh God, would You keep us on the narrow way of life. There are so many deceivers today, Father. There are so many false paths, so many false gospels, so many false spirits. It is easy for the child of God to look and to say, who can know truth? Is truth even knowable? But Father, your word, which cannot lie, has told us that we are of the truth if we are in Christ, and we know that truth that sets us free. I pray, Father, for every soul in this congregation today hearing your word, not a one would be lost to lies and deception, but that everyone would walk in the way of truth and in your light and would come at last to your glorious and eternal kingdom and throne. Father, may Resurrection Church be a church that truly speaks and lives out truth without compromise and sincere love for the world and for the brethren. Father, keep us in that narrow way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.